This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time once again for Shake Them Ropes. My name is Chris Novembrino. I am joined, as always, by Jeff Hawkins. That bounce in my step today that you are hearing in my voice, Jeff, is because one of my all-time favorite lead guitar players liked one of my tweets last night. Elliot Easton of the Cars saw a tweet I made about him, and he went and liked it, and he dropped a heart on me. And what's weird about me is, like, 20 wrestlers could like a tweet of mine, I probably wouldn't care but Elliot Easton, the guitar player for the Cars, liked one tweet of mine and will probably never talk to me again, and I am over the moon about it. Question, did you tag him, or was it a vanity search on his part? I was r- commenting about Elliot Easton, so like he was tagged in the reply. Ah, okay. No, that's cool. I had uh, <laughs> once had <laughs> weird. I, I had found this, um, there was this band I used to like, a... Uh, kind of a folky pop band out of the San Francisco area called girly man that had been touring and they had videotaped themselves dancing at like in a loft hotel to Steve Winwood's higher love. And I had tagged him and he wrote back. He goes, yep, they sure have some moves and they were over the moon. I was like, well, there you go. I'm uh, <laughs> I've done my good deed for the day. I've put two musical talents that I like in touch with one another. No, that's cool. And I, I like Twitter a lot. I, Hate it Twitter can be such a good website, right? I hate it, though, for everything that everybody else hates it for. It's such an easily – the thing that makes it great is the thing that makes it terrible is that everybody has an opinion and that it's easily accessible for anybody to have an opinion on So that. what I liked about Twitter, especially initially, is the, the great equalization effect. It doesn't matter how much money or how rich and how famous you are. Anyone can comment on anyone. Uh, but what I don't like about some of the new developments, especially the new development where you can shut down selective comments or whatever, you, the original poster, can choose to silence other people's commentary and feedback on it. I actually think that's kind of an icky development. But I do think that it can be used for positive interactions, the Elliot Easton thing. I, one time, Eric Idle retweeted me, and it was just like a funny joke, and he retweeted the funny joke, and... It was positive vibes all around. No one got dunked on. No one was owned or destroyed. It felt good. Yeah, the anthropological footprint of your Twitter, though, like if you've been on it since you were like 13 and now you're 21 and somebody just decides one day, let's see what he was saying when he was 13 and you're everybody's a jackass when they're 13. So, yeah. Well, there's another thing there, too, uh, not to get all Neil Postman on you, but like that medium shift from 140 characters to 280 characters was more than just doubling the length of a tweet, right? Like it changed the nature of thoughts and the way you'd express them on there. Yeah, usually brevity was a soul of wit, and now it's not anymore. Oh, God, I missed that. That was the best part about Twitter initially is you had to be pithy. So... Anything happened in wrestling this week, Chris? <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, there's certainly a lot of it. I, I was thinking as I was watching SmackDown, not that we're going to start on SmackDown, but I, I just had the thought pop into my head that 
WWE main roster right now, there was a point in time where I paid to go to see the shows. There was a point in time where I got free tickets to go and see the shows. I think I'm at the point where you'd have to pay me to go to a live event. I'll say this much. If I'm a UK fan and I've been banging this drum for four years, I'm wondering how you can be a fan of this product because they so half-heartedly book something as if it should be your pleasure to go see them because we don't come around. They didn't used to be like this. Remember 2013? Like 2013, especially in the United Kingdom, they got great shows. They got really, really good shows. Some of the best in the year. And this company... Um, our main friend, our main number one wrestling friend, Ferrante, sort of brought it up. They're not about being like a wrestling company in the way that the business was run in the 70s no. and 80s. It's now a B2B thing. It's a business-to-business sort of thing. And, and you can see that mentality shift from as recently as 2013 with the Daniel Bryan push to the way that they're booking Daniel Bryan, utilizing Daniel Bryan, utilizing the United Kingdom, all of these things. Well, I, I kind of viewed it as almost a, like when I was growing up, you'd always have Disney on Ice, Ringling Brothers, the Harlem Globetrotters, those types of shows would come into town, they'd play an arena for a weekend, and then they'd come back next year. And that to me is what WWE kind of does. They, you know, we're going to put on the show, you're going to be able to see us again, and then we're going to leave. Are you going to call them the Traveling Circus? You are going to have the temerity to refer to this as the Traveling Circus. Sir, this is an entertainment company, a global entertainment company that is going around putting on high-quality theater. The elephant in the room, CM Punk is now somewhat associated with... (laughs) God, they're so bad with these returns. I was thinking this week about Daniel Bryan's return. I don't even remember like the big moment where he came back into the ring. I would have to look it up on Google. It's not actually in my memory. And CM Punk... To have this guy finally return in some capacity to WWE on the backstage Fox Sports One show. It was it was te- it was cool. it was Daniel Bryan was teaming with Shane McMahon against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Oh. That was the big return. Mm. Remember? Who yeah, who could forget? Look, I, I I found it interesting the way that they plugged it on SmackDown. Because they didn't use cult of personality. Apparently I guess the clearances are only through Fox. <laughs> maybe maybe WWE no longer owns the copyright which they had bought or the you know the rights to play it. I just I'm I'm a little torn here, Chris, because because I I I understand the rage of certain how, how should I put this anti-authority types who feel disappointed that CM Punk would come crawling back. To work for a company that mistreated him so much. Did he come crawling really... back? Well, is I mean, this crawling? Did... I don't know if it's crawling, but I mean, that would make a difference. His disposition of am I here to make some money as an individual who might at some point F off and leave? That's neither authoritarian nor anti-authoritarian. That's just transactional. Well, I mean, that's, that's if he showed up and he was like, about. I'm destitute. Colt Cabana broke me. I have none monies. Please, <laughs> Mr. Vince, please. Like then, yeah, like that. Yeah, that's pretty obsequious and pathetic, but I don't think that's the case. I just think he's going to play ball. I do, and I think people are disappointed by that. I think he's going to go on these Fox shows, and he's going to say things that toe the edge of edgy in terms of commentary. But I don't think I don't think he's going to 
I don't think he's going to ruin the meal ticket. And I think that's part of what they're kind of trying to plug here to get eyeballs over to the show is, oh, look, we have CM Punk who will say, you know, that 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 uh, element of danger where, oh, he could say anything at any time, you know, the Howard Stern of WWE or whatever you want to plug him as. The mistake here, at least to my eyes, is with WWE, Punk might get bored with this. He might go, there's nothing to this. This is not that fun of a shtick. I don't necessarily want to do a whole lot more. I think WWE, in giving him this kind of boring detail, might be preemptively boring him from the product. Oh yeah, I, I just I think he may say things to amuse himself. It's gonna go one of two ways. Either he's gonna play ball and we're gonna be bored by this, or he's gonna say something that wrinkles the feathers of WWE, and WWE is gonna go to Fox and go, I can't have this guy killing my product on air. It, it's there's no middle ground here, I don't think. No, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, I find your light, punk. That's my note to him. I mean, he comes out there and he and he's in the dark and he's doing the uh, Roddy Piper ripoff uh, quote. You know, every time they change the or every time they whatever they, they think they change the answers, the answers I, I change ch- all the I questions. Change. God, that was yeah, lame well, too. Cha- he, yeah, right. Well, he said I change the culture. Okay. And I don't know if he's going to change. I don't know how much he's going to change the culture on FS1. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's weird that WWE then. I, I think it's smart of them to kind of turn into the skid and use it for eyeballs on the product. But at the same time, they also don't want them on their product, which is very weird too. And I don't know if punk wants to be on their product. It's weird. I, I, it feels like Vince saw an opening or somebody saw an opening in the headlines with the story that came out about punk only getting a text message from the young bucks to come and join AEW or or whatever it was a very half-hearted attempt by the AEW boys to recruit CM Punk which I think was a mistake on their part I think the truth is somewhere in the middle I don't think it was just that but it's that's why I kind of stopped from details and just kind of wound it back to half-hearted attempt I think the truth is that it was a half-hearted attempt that they weren't seriously trying to court him that they didn't view him as a meaningful asset to a product that frankly could use a little bit more charisma infusion yeah I I I wouldn't go I see I could I don't know so I can't say anything about if you want to talk weird uh, where do we want to go first? Do we want to go NWA or do we want to do main roster and then other things and then our, our shows on the network? Well, let's, let's do a little NWA. Hit me. What, what did you want to get to on NWA? This was the first NWA show I did not like. Okay. What did you not like about it? Because for me, at least, the purpose of studio wrestling, the purpose of being in that intimate environment is just to have the guys come out there, they do their wrestling, and then they cut promos on one another. This one was storytelling, and it's one of those things where it's not, and here's where, and this is going to be the theme throughout this entire show, is you telling me whether or not I'm seeing this somewhat objectively, or if I'm filtering it through the eyes of, this is what I want something to be. But I thought the storytelling here was killing this show, because they're being a little too coy with the alliances, and the characters haven't really been established yet. And you have things like, um, the, who's the kid who challenged Colt Cabana? I can't remember his name offhand. 
Oh God, who was the kid who challenged? The guy who beat Aaron Aaron Stevens last week. Oh, uh, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks coming out, acting a little heelish towards Colt, but he's a babyface. You know, you, you still have the the wild card James Storm, um, Nick Aldis, whatever the heck's going on. No, there issue continues to groups. be there is no clear babyface, and, and initially it felt like Tim Storm was going to be that inflection point, that pure babyface with Mama Storm, he's kind of the responsible adult in the room, uh, a former champion, a veteran, but also in kind of a weird emotional quandary because he can't actually challenge for the title, but maybe he could be a spiritual leader. Now he's kind of wrapped up in the all this storyline, and it doesn't, it, to your point, is Cole Cabana babyface? I don't know. Is Ricky Starks a baby face? I don't know. Well, I don't uh, like the well, guy. More important to my point is this. What I, all I want really is these guys cutting promos on one another and building the story from there as opposed to having a story written and having characters go through the motions and it being a bit of a, for lack of a better term, a main roster show type thing. I don't want that. I just want these guys coming out, talking smack and wrestling and you know, we're getting angles now on the show, and you're just like, we're not, we haven't even established who all these people are yet, and we're starting to try and get muddled with, with alliances and things, and you're just like, let's let's take it back a bit, and build gradually here. And here's here's the other thing, and and I want I want to hear your opinions on this. We finally got the debut of the question mark. The question mark is Josephus, obviously. He is doing a martial arts gimmick poorly. Now, there's the part of Jeff that loves the unrepentant stupidity of this entire thing and loves it. And there's the part of Jeff as wrestling critic who doesn't want this to be camp. And it's camp. And NWA is turning into camp. And I get enough camp in my wrestling. I, I don't. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say I really liked this segment as a squash match because it was just so ridiculously stupid. But at the same time, I don't want ironic wrestling either. So I like the question mark. My problem with the question mark is the fact that the question mark and people's enthusiasm for the unrepentant stupidity dribbled and drabbled into the Eli Drake promo. And I thought right. Eli Drake did a good job getting things back on track but the fact that you had to re-corral everything and keep the audience from hijacking the show, especially with that type of show, um, it is a problem, clearly. I, I think that you're right to identify. I like the complexity in the main storyline, but it's too complex in the sense that Camille is doing too many things. Why is she talking at the end of the episode? And anyway, whether we hear her or not, she shouldn't be talking with Nick Aldis. We shouldn't be see her actually having words with Nick Aldis on screen. I don't think um, Camille's interplay with the wild card is also confusing. Um, all this coming out and sitting out ringside, it, it kind of makes sense. It, it kind of felt like all this has some sort of tie with Wild Card. That's why he's there. He's, but then he did actually play a hand there. And so that was kind of a weird uh, Chekhov's gun sort of scenario where you're waiting for all this to do something. And he doesn't do anything. And then the thing that happens that involves him at the end doesn't make a ton of sense. 
Um, but on the positive sides here, I think the Thunder Rosa push is is going very well. I think she's really popping on the screen. I, I think that. Uh, I mean, the squash match with Marty Bell was nothing to write home with. I mean, you know, they defeated Crystal Rose and Brooklyn Creed. Nothing big there. But uh, I'm, I'm intrigued, uh, the MMA documentary. I think that they've they've found someone who's actually like a star on their screen, especially for their women's division, and a much more interesting one than uh, Allison Kay. I thought that promo was really good. The... Uh behind the scenes at her was was it bellator yeah yes yeah that was cool i i also liked the at the desk promo where she speaks in spanish and it's like marty bell's kind of possessed by thunder rosa i i don't hate that i like thunder rosa (laughs) no she dude she's great i mean she's a star man she she i mean yeah yeah, she she really she's got star quality about her yeah no i'm i'm surprised I'm actually kind of surprised AEW did not pick her up. I really am. That's the kind of character that they could go with, I think, especially uh, especially if they're going to do ridiculous things like Brandy Rose and Awesome Kong being possessed. Um, oh, no, that yeah. angle is definitely going somewhere, Jeff. It's oh, Yeah, yeah it's going to be good. It's good, It's going to pay off. So you had brought up uh, Daniel Bryan before. Um for the main roster, there are a few notes I, I kind of had. I I watched SmackDown this morning to catch up on it. I am not a fan of this Bray Wyatt, Daniel Bryan positioning. Did, did you see this uh, Miz TV segment on Friday? Yeah, it's actually probably the only thing on the show that I particularly liked. So, okay. so no, 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 don't, no, dunk on it. it. I, I, will, I will marginally defend this, but as I said earlier... I was watching SmackDown, and if we didn't have to review the show today, that that would have been off relatively quickly. The Baron yeah. Corbin stuff. I I am oh, allergic. No, I am allergic to giving a shit about Baron Corbin. That was that was Vince from 1996. Vince from 1986. That that I just. I watched that. I go, how can you say you are in touch with the youth of America putting that on TV? Because that was dreadful. That that thing was cringe. That's that's, that's the type of thing yeah, you don't want. I was just about to say that. This is the type of thing where, like, if you just started dating somebody, you would be going like, oh, I'm a wrestling fan. And you'd probably bring up New Japan and maybe NWA and AEW because you wouldn't want this new person to one day turn on <laughs> SmackDown and go, what the hell is this Chihuahua crap? Yeah, and the funny thing is, those types of people are the same people who go, I want to stay home and watch Temptation Island tonight. And you're like, you're talking to me about bad taste? What are you watching? But yeah, no, that was bad. I don't I don't mind Daniel Bryan as babyface. I don't like Daniel Bryan as calling himself mentally unstable, especially after having a history of head injuries. I think that WWE's writing about mental instability is maybe not particularly sensitive to people who actually have mental issues also. Yes. I, I mean, I'm not to come off as, you know, the Johnny Give-A-Hug guy, but, like, it scans a little bit... 
Like, Vince doesn't actually get that people have serious personality disorders and they can be high-functioning, but, like, personality <laughs> disorders can be really debilitating. And just going, I'm mentally unstable in the normal real world. Like, if you walked into the auto zone and you're like, I'm unstable, someone's at least looking to see where their phone is because they might need to call the cops. Yeah, you have them healing on The Miz and then baby-facing on Bray. It's kind of... Uh, I, I, it wasn't my jam. Let's put it that way. I don't like the non-committal stuff. I, I thought, here's what I liked about it. I liked that the promo actually explained the juxtaposition between the two of them. I hate that we had to get there through Bray's mentally instable, and so am I, and it takes a crazy man to beat a crazy man, that sort of thing. I thought the part that was the most confusing and oddly complicated for WWE was the way Bray was trying to weaponize the yes chance against Daniel Bryan. I do not think the audience is going to fully understand the game that's being played there. That was way too right. cute by half. Yeah, and I thought they might be going into the whole Daniel Bryan used to be a member of the Wyatt family type thing, but they didn't hit on that. I really. think that so is I, where they're going. I, I, I think that that whole line that Bray Wyatt said of you know what you did there there's a clear allusion to the past and their big past intersection is when Daniel Bryan betrayed Bray Wyatt right yeah uh so we're getting more and more brand faction warfare uh, I, I'm starting to think and let, let me know what you think about this I think because the undisputed era attacked both teams in the SmackDown tag team title match, we might be making this a four-way, and I'm cool with that. I'm fine with that as well. Now let's talk about the brand supremacy stuff. Every year I you know, make the joke about, oh, it's all about who's the best brand, and uh, nothing's more exciting than that to the average person. Uh, so I kind of want to go a little bit further on the problem with this. The whole okay. reason you want to elevate a team, right? Like if you are an athlete, and you are playing on a team, whether it's the, the Boston Celtics or the Los Angeles Lakers, the Chicago Bears, wh whatever it is. You want to elevate that team's brand for a couple of key reasons. One, um, the idea that you will be able to ad advance an individual goal by advancing the collective goal. Um, the idea that elevating the brand somehow creates a multiplier reflective glory effect onto you as the performer. And, and for, for these wrestlers, there's simply no coherent motivation for any of them to care at all about seeing SmackDown or Raw become the better brand because there's not going to be like a Raw championship. Raw winning Survivor Series has no bearing on the rest of the year. It doesn't color the way stories arc through the rest of the year. If anything, it gets brought up for a couple of months to limited circumstance or maybe with only like week-long little storylines, like show-long storylines. So the whole point of this long protracted fight, why does NXT need to be the best brand? What, like, how does it benefit? With the, with the people in NXT, I guess you could make a little bit more of a case that the issue for NXT as a brand is they're not seen on the same level as Raw and SmackDown. But for Raw and SmackDown, 
the whole thing we're supposed to believe is that both of these brands are equal, even though Vince clearly has a bias towards Raw. Well, NXT UK is definitely on the bottom rung of the entire ladder, given how uh, how our uh, South Wales social club, <laughs> the former tag team champions, go in there and just get slaughtered by the War Raiders. But for me, Chris, who was Shayna Baszler's backup at SmackDown when she attacked Bailey? It was apparently Rhea Ripley, Dakota Kai, and Tegan Knox. Me, Mia Yim and Tegan Knox. The people that are going to be fighting this Shayna is Baszler one of the many problems. in war games. So everyone was super excited. Oh, man, it's so great to see WWE liberated from all of their, you know, all of their bondage that they put on themselves. Well, one of the big problems with jumping the gun on this whole angle is Bailey's heel turn has been just reduced to incoherence. What is Bailey's character? I don't don't think her promo was that bad this week. I I thought her whole carriage on the way to the ring was like ridiculous. I don't. You watch her, the the way she's carrying herself, this character. No, dude, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, like, it's weird. The carriage part, the carriage part to me is vital because she's doing nihilist and that's just not, you know, nobody gets involved with someone who's disaffected by their entire performance. You know, she's playing disaffected, and you can't play disaffected. You have to pick one. But then when she came down to the ring, it was almost paranoid slash, like, emotional, almost yeah. going to cry. Uh, like, I just, her character has been completely lost in the shuffle by all of this brand war stuff because it sort of necessarily doesn't have a place to get advanced in the plot. So, I yeah, no, they, I think this is a big of- problem. They've kind of addressed that a little bit with the attack on Shayna in NXT and the attack on Bailey and uh, on Becky on Raw because of the afterthought comment. I think that's okay. I just why is the babyface team backing up Shayna Baszler in an invasion when they're gonna be going to war the the night previous to whatever three way tag they're doing? Also, what the hell is Mia Yim, who is obviously still in pain? from the ladder match doing here. And then we'll get to this when we get to NXT, because I have some long, long discussion needs to be had about the entire story there. But Dakota Kai blowing it for the team here. I don't know if that's great storytelling or just she's just going to be the sacrificial geek every time. I it, it was just such a weird thing where it's like, why are you helping Shayna Baszler, guys? Why? It's not like it's not like this is now a network show. NXT is now on USA. People are watching. People are crossing over. And they can see all this. What the hell? That's just... It's it's Vince going, well, they're, they're loyal to their brand. They're wearing a yellow and black t-shirt. That must be their loyalty. And you're just like, ah. I mean, even worse, I think it's just Vince thinking that you can book from week to week and so long as the show that's on your television screen is entertaining, cool. Okay, so NXT because I got we got to get to this because I thought this was a great show. Oh man, dude, this is more the, easily the best wrestling show of the week. The, this NXT me, was, was all, yeah. oh yeah for sure. I mean, I liked. Don't get me wrong, I liked AEW. I wasn't in love with a lot of the things a lot of other people were in love with on AEW this week. Um. And probably the less said, the better, because we have an AEW show on the network. But um, And we're just I'm trying not to, to get in fights with them. 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, what were your thoughts? Just before knowing, I know it's going to be kind of impossible because I think you kind of knew from the end of NXT before you had watched the show, and that might have been my fault for spoiling it at least. But when you're watching this angle of women being taken out, what were your initial thoughts on that? I was trying to figure out who it was, and even with the reveal at the end. I'm still kind of confused who was taking out who. Because yeah. I scan at least part of the takeouts as being Bailey took out fight and or play. Here, okay, here was my initial thoughts. I'm watching this and they have the babyface team in a wreck. And I'm and I'm starting to get geeked up because I'm like, oh cool. Oh, they ju- they've just turned they've turned Dakota Kai into John friggin' Wick. She snapped. She's killing people. She's she's Dakota Cobra Kai. She's she's hurting dudes. She's I'm like I am down for this. And then they show the heel team destroyed. I'm like, "Oh, they've they've born Dakota Kai again hardcore. This is going to be awesome because I was I was certain it was going to be the heel turn at the end. I was certain of this." And then they go to the Mia Yim interview and in comes Dakota. Hey, I have your back. And I was like, no, no, don't give up the ghost. Don't tip your hand like this. You still, whatever. You still think that it's Dakota Kai doing all of this. You still think it that, is. Like, yeah, because it was what I was waiting for is for her to come in and just murder Io Shirai and Mia Yim and just sort of be like, I'm going my own way. Yeah, a little bit of that. But I was like, oh, don't tip the hand if you're going to make her. This badass in hiding. Don't tip the hand. Just have her come out. And then it happened. And then what happens is she comes out. She is protecting Mia Yim. She does attack Io Shirai. She gets knocked out of there. And Kaylee Ray comes out. And I think Kaylee Ray is kind of a welcome addition to this team. I love this reveal, too, because it's super consistent with her character yes. where she's always forgotten about and nobody ever sees Kaylee Ray coming. She's like the Spanish Inquisition. But then. Shayna comes out, you know, they're doing the posing and Bailey drops her on her head on her title. And to me, it just said what they did was they basically told you all the main roster women were around NXT attacking these people. And the Bailey thing is just kind of a reveal of she was the only one who came out of the shadows. And I kind of went, ah. I uh, and what's really confusing that's about an okay the, it's story. not even clear that that's the story, but like, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think that that's probably the right read of it, but they didn't even tell that story clearly. I, this is what I hate about the brand warfare stuff is that because there is no resolution, it's just all building to a match, but the match doesn't actually resolve the conflict. Per, like, it ends the story, but it doesn't actually settle anything. There's no payoff. Well, let me ask you this then. Because we we kind of uh forecasted our picks for what the uh, ending of the ladder match was going to be and it did not come to pass. We still have Dakota Kai in this story somehow. Is it a redemption story now for Dakota Kai to be entered in the war games and to win it for them? Or is she going to be entered in it and end up being not up to the moment? Huh. I don't know what the storyline is for Dakota Kai. I, I 
she does seem to be this dangling thread. I think she, I think she sabotages things for Rhea and everyone. I, on purpose or accidentally? On purpose. Okay. I think the heel turn is still coming. Yeah, I'm. I was just like, well, that's a good way to take Mia out of the War Games match, but she was on SmackDown two nights later, and we'll get into the match. But God dang that bump! I don't care if that ladder was gimmick. That thing, I I was amazed at the amount of damage both EO and Mia Yim took in that match. But are we talking for, about the bump from the ladder onto the other ladder on the outside, yes, or are we talking yes. about the part where she takes the ladder directly into the face? Well, the ladder to the face. And, okay, let's just go into the match then. Yeah. Because I, I loved this match. I did. I really did. This match is the, awesome. I was not expecting this match to be much of anything. Um, and this, this match brutal. ruled. This was brutal, man. I, I, the, 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 uh, the hip toss into the ladder that Io Shirai took, but she didn't quite hit the ladder square. She hit the edge of it. That was the most painful bump in this match, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Mia going from ladder to floor through that gimmick, I just went, oh my god, there are guys who shouldn't be taking that thing. And that sounds sexist as hell, but I, I still don't, there are parts of me that still get uncomfortable with unnecessary damage. And that's unnecessary damage. Especially on an NXT weekly show. I, I don't yeah. have a problem with that type of bump. At the, on a pay-per-view. Uh, especially at the Mania NXT TakeOver. Yes. Yeah, uh, but I, I thought that that was... It's yeah, really not about man or woman in this case. It's just that it was unnecessary for weekly television. The ladder into the face. She did everything she could to prevent her nose from being broken. When her nose exploded, and it exploded, you got to get those refs out of there. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm probably the minority here. You check to see if she's okay, and then you get the hell out of the way. Because that killed the flow of the match to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess they're just worried about blood being blood. all over they're everything. About blood being on TV. It's, and well, it's not even about on TV. What I've kind of realized, it's about the replays. They get really, like, they want all this stuff for the archives. So they want all these shots to be clean. They don't want blood everywhere because whenever they have blood everywhere, they have to do the black and white gimmick and they have to post-produce and that sort of thing. So it's as much about television and not upsetting the children as it is we have to have these shots good for posteriority well it's their market space the advertisers were not like those blood and guts promotions which is what he called aew at one time you know we're the family friendly brand and, that, and then that happens and then of course earlier in the show you had uh Aaliyah's nose getting exploded by zia lee but yeah no i loved this ladder match i i think eo shirai is putting on it's putting up a pretty good resume here of She's no Shinsuke matches. Nakamura. Let's put it that well, way. Well, no, Shinsuke, Shinsuke was putting up good matches in NXT, too. But, I mean, between the cage match, the cage match with Shayna, cage match with uh, uh, Candice. Yeah, she is. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad she's on this brand versus being a Kabuki warrior. Um, 
But yeah, no, I, I can we talk I, about I, how awful the Kabuki Warriors music is, and like, why have we not yes. just made a theme song Asuka's for these? Theme. Yes, or just, just give an Oscar theme. theme. Yeah, but this like horrible merger theme thing, and this convention that WWE's composition team has gotten into, where you just like merge two songs that don't really fit together together, but like <laughs> cut every twenty seconds. There is a. There's a music, like a CD compilation that I, my dad got in the 90s that was like 45 seconds of a bunch of songs, and each song was like five minutes, and it was like Radiohead's... Oh, yeah. No, that used to be a thing yeah. in the 80s, the stars on 45, which is an arcane reference that I should have no business remembering, but it was just like a medley of different songs set to a, like a disco beat with doom, ta, doom, ta, doom, or like Hooked on Classics. Did you ever hear Hooked on Classics? Um, I didn't. It was like a... It's 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 like it's like twenty different classical songs in like three minutes, set to a disco beat, <sighs> and it's 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 ridiculous. But it used to be a thing in the eighties, and that's what that's this thing. Sounds yeah, like. yeah. In in the nineties, like the the thing that the example that comes to mind is there is uh, one track on there that had like five different songs edited together, and it started with Radiohead's "Creep," and then it went to Dada's "Disneyland." Um, and just like jarring hard cuts every time. Like, like we would maybe get through a course and then it just like cuts to Disneyland cuts to, or the other yeah. one, the other one I was saying of is a uh, jive bunny and the master mixers, which was basically a, it was a DJ putting together all these songs, but your examples have bit. like a coherent drum beat. That's like at a standard yeah. BPM that stitches the whole thing together. And yeah. the Oscar Kyrie Sane theme is going at two completely different tempos. But yo ho, like it's two totally different paces. Like they're not even attempted to be merged together on a BPM level. And so the whole thing smacks of laziness. Um, and that is. That is not you the music problem is not unique to WWE but like AEW and WWE right now have music that is just really really forgettable and in some cases yeah. designed to be really forgettable. Yeah, it's it's uh <laughs> remember when w- WCW was just using basically uh public domain music that would be used for like beds for commercials. Yes. Yeah. And that, that is true. But you know, what's funny about some of those, some of those are kind of catchy, like a uh, hooven to Guerrero's theme, which is a little generic, obviously, but like they'd actually have halfway decent ones. Psychosis had a really cool one that was yeah. like in the style of Jeff Beck, but also really fit his character. Well, um, and yeah. it felt like WCW, even with using the public domain music was actually a little bit more, mindful with certain people to at least pair them with a song that made some degree of sense for who that character was um there, there was the one like the what i always associate with uh disorderly conduct where like it just starts with like it's just that uh steve austin used that one too yeah yeah i remember steve austin using it so let's uh let's do this nxt show i guess i should go back on music on the mat sometime because I, cl- <laughs> I clearly just want to talk about wrestling theme songs i don't really Actually, want to talk know about what? the product I'll, yeah because in order to talk about 205 which i'll gloss over we need to talk about nxt a bit this show starts with possibly the best match in nxt this year i think it's up there 
Leo Rush against Angel Garza. This was so good. The, I, this this was show great. was so good. This show opened with this match and closed with that ladder match. That is better than some of the pay-per-views we've had this year. Agreed. I I adored this match. Um, I hate the way they followed up on it on 205 Live. And, oh, uh, how they I'll, follow I'll, up on it? Because I, I didn't watch. I, I still am forgetting that 205 Live is a yeah. show, guys. Um, I'll put it this way. Leo Rush is upset that Angel Garza hit on his wife. Really? That's the issue here? That's going to be a feud. I hated hated that spot, and I hated the whole, I had my foot under the rope spot. Like, just have a friggin' really good match and get Angel Garza over. No, this was a great match. It got Garza over. It burned out the crowd for another hour, which was interesting. That's the one downside of it is this crowd was so hot, I think, for an Angel Garza title win that they just kind of shut off for the next few matches. Um, The end is something I wanted to ask you about because it was something I hadn't noticed until I went back and watched it. But both you had the Angel Garza putting his foot on the ropes, but at the same time, you also had Leo Rush grabbing for the tights. Oh, I didn't even catch that. So it's, yeah, I'm, uh, it's weird. They're, They're not going full baby or heel on both these guys. I don't like that non-committal thing because I just yeah. felt like we had gotten to a point with Leo Rush, particularly with Mauro Ronaldo putting over on commentary not all that long ago that Leo had been, you know, kind of going through some stuff on a personal level and had gotten those demons behind them and, you know, his head's in the right place and all this stuff. It, it, it's... I don't like bailing out on the Leo babyface character this soon. I don't think they are. I, I, I don't. It sounds like they're not. But there are hints there that they need some more consistency. But he shouldn't have been going for the tights with his wife in the audience. Like, that doesn't actually scan well, right? Yeah. yeah like, if you're going to cheat, you wouldn't want to <laughs> You wouldn't want to cheat in front of your wife, Jeff. That's their sports entertainment uh, proclivities coming out right there. Nothing, nothing well, for an infidelity to- joke, Jeff. Whatever. Keep going. No, I, I well they're they're just doing so many they're doing so many of these infidelity angles that they all just become a blur between Canellis and Lana and now having one on 205. Why do we need another one? Why do we need the Jake the Snake Roberts Rick Rude angle to this when they're having such great matches and they're great competitors with one another? You have not be flashy. Okay, sure. It's in It really Angel shouldn't Garza's be character. what the cruiserweight division is about. And historically, when cruiserweight wrestling has been successful and kind of beloved, it's always been scanned by the audience as the wrestling. It's the wrestlers wrestling. And and you Chris, Yeah. I don't even mind if for a moment Garza goes and tries to get a kiss from his wife, I just don't want that to be what the angle's about. That shouldn't be what the angle's about. Um, and I think that when Garza went to go do that, it should have been met with even more comeuppance from Leo Rush. Like, it should have right. been a bigger spot in the match. I would have even had it cost Garza the match. That Garza was basically in control of the match, decided that he wanted to go and get a kiss from the wife, and when he went and kind of fell into his own heelish proclivities, that's what cost him the match. But this match was fantastic. Yeah, oh, it was a good match. I, uh, they, I, these I, guys are awesome. The, uh... Oh, the, the, the move off the top rope Garza did that... It wasn't a Samoan drop. No, it was like a power slam. Yeah. 
that thing. I I mean, I bit a couple times that Garza may win this match, especially after the uh, the broken wings. Um, that yeah, no, just th- these two on a match. They're magic together. Keep two hundred five live on NXT and just get rid of that show. Angel Garza's a star, dude. Get get he him is. a manager who can do enough talking for him because he can talk a little bit, but but he should be managed by somebody. It, it's about Malcolm, Malcolm Bivens, Bivens is, in the front is row. sitting out there giving we but we keep saying, Oh, I think Bivens is right around the corner. I think Malcolm Bivens any time now. And yet it, it still hasn't come to fruition. All they're doing is using him on the Florida loops and it's driving me nuts. It's like use him on TV, please. Ah <sighs> Anywho, let's uh, go through the rest of the show. Okay. Um, other things that occurred on this show. Zia Lee just annihilates Anaya or Aaliyah. <laughs> Anaya. <laughs> Aaliyah. Might as well call her Anaya because there's not much left of her nose at this point. Uh, Zia Lee's a little rough around the edges, Jeff. I don't know if you've noticed this. Yeah, but she's rough in the right way. She is rough in the fact that when she first came up, she was doing the dancing kicking fan stuff you know she was a martial arts ninja in a movie type thing and now she now she's a killer and i love it i love that women are afraid to go in the ring with her i think you know if we were ever going to use malcolm bivens as a character i would make xia lee his bodyguard they have been doing like little videos with xia and malcolm on malcolm's social media and it's because there was this thing where I guess Malcolm had promised Zaya that she'd get to meet John Cena and, and he never came through. So there are things you could put on TV to do that. I, you know, I hate to say it, but the, the sad photo of Aaliyah with a broken nose, blood all over the place. It was the crying stripper. It was, uh, you know, you don't want to see it, but at the same time, you're like, huh. uh, <laughs> I thought it worked well. I thought it worked well for this whole thing. If Zia Lee kicks Vanessa Bourne in the face, maybe we need to uh, maybe we need to uh, back off of the kicks some. But um, I love that she's killing geeks. I love it. I think I think that's what she needs to do. So then we had Finn Balor come down to the ring. He cuts. Did I just do the crying stripper thing? <laughs> did, did, yeah, you did. Um, Finn Balor came down to the ring, and do you want to? Do we need to make a pit stop in the accountability room? No, okay, no, we're fine. No, no, we're no. Fine. no. Let's, All right, let's, let's move on. Balor comes down. He cuts a promo. He built the place. I don't know if you've ever heard this promo before, guys, but um, there's a wrestler. They built the brand. Um, they put it on their their back, and, and they didn't get their just desserts. Blah blah blah. And Balor has the a bunch of little boys moved in line, which I, I don't. It's it, very off brand with the whole Balor club is for everyone stuff. I don't. I, Vince, the alpha male type of scripting, it, it feels a little weird with Balor. That's all I'm saying. This is a this was a snore of a promo. It wasn't good either. I, I mean, in, in addition to the fact that it's like hackneyed and I don't like the themes, I just didn't think that the delivery of these themes was particularly good either. Yeah, I, I just don't like the I'm I, w- I used to be the quarterback here right. of this football. You've team, heard this. You've heard you guys this aren't tune. living up. You guys aren't living up to the monarch name anymore. After I graduated, you know, up yours, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, well, what? What did you do? Have- right. Yeah. You went up and you got the title, and then you got injured, and then you never got the title yeah. back. Like, come, come, come back down and actually have beef with some of the people on this roster, as opposed to 
the the culture of the locker. This is a Drew. This is the Drew McIntyre promo. Yes, it is. The, right, right. Yeah, all those people in the back aren't stepping up and grabbing the brass ring. Blah blah blah. Ah, shut up. And then Riddle <laughs> comes down and calls Balor a putz, and I, I just all of this is not elevating Balor. It's lowering him down, and it's not elevating Riddle either. Although it looks like Riddle has now been taken out of the War Games match to fight with Finn Balor, I'm all about uh, no, that. No, that match is going to be awesome. I'm su- and this new heel Finn Balor, I think you know this is what's going to save all of this. He looks much more engaged in wrestling activities as a heel than he does as a face. I he he yeah. works much stiffer. He works more aggressive. I I think. Him being paired with Matt Riddle is going to be a lot of fun. I think the babyface heel dynamics can be great. Uh, I am very, very excited for that match. I think Matt Riddle will be able to lay it in a little too on old Finn. Yes, right. And I think on the other side too, I think Matt Riddle is not afraid of taking some punishment from Finn. So I, I just think that they're gonna they're gonna have some fun. Now, Keith Lee versus Roderick Strong. I think to your point earlier about energy of the show being absent after that opening match, this is where you really felt it. It was like the crowd was on a lunch break during this match. Yeah, and and, and Roddy was doing his best to get, keep him up because he was the energy of the match. Um, I, I enjoyed this. I did. I thought it was very good. But, it, it, again, it was kind of a come down after uh, – after what we had seen in the beginning. And then ditto with Swerve Scott versus Bronson Reed. I, I think these two guys are just... It, people are confused why they're watching this match. At least I was. Here is where NXT really needs to take a step back and go, do we want to put on just a great wrestling show or do we want to make stars out of these guys? Because you have Swerve Scott, who lost last week, Okay, we need to build him back up again. We're going to give him a win this week. Who are we going to give him a win against? The guy who got a win two weeks ago that we were starting to build in Bronson Reed. Who's been kind of on a um, 50-50 tear here. But- who's been on a 50-50 tear, and now we got them going 50-50 again. So next week, I assume Bronson Reed will have to beat somebody like... I don't who <laughs> I, I don't like, know. Uh, it uh, might be Swerve and Bronson Reed as a tag team against somebody. It was kind of what, no. They're doing the no. They're doing the mutual respect thing. Right, with, right. Uh, but I could you, see like with everybody in this division, though, for the most sure, part. Sure, sure. I could still see the Forgotten Sons coming out there, inserting themselves, and then you have a low level. Oh, I match. figured it out. Yeah, what I figured out. Bronson Reed's going to beat Raul Mendoza next week. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Raul Mendoza, <laughs> who was on a tag match in two hundred five. Let me let me get through two hundred five real quick. Um. Aiden English was uh, running the show with a newcomer, the former Johnny Loquasto from Championship Wrestling of Hollywood, now known as Johnny Quasto. Good for him. Good guy. Happy for him. He had been doing the uh, NXT Largo loop doing like, uh, I believe he had been doing ring announcing and crowd warm up and stuff like that. He's a good dude. I really like him a lot. So happy that he got a shot on this. Um, Jack Gallagher and Angel Garza. Angel Garza won with a, Roll schoolboy roll up holding the tights, meh. Um, because <laughs> they were having a pretty good match until the finish. I thought, uh, the Singh brothers, um, had a 24 7 title defense, two on one handicap match. It was okay. Um, there was a tag match in here and I forgot who it was <laughs> against a couple of local Philly guys. And then the main event was a tag match between Leo Rush and Raul Mendoza against 
uh, Arya Davari and Tony Nese. Fun little match. Not much to it. It was pretty good. You sound excited. Yeah, <laughs> you sound well, really. I kind of just rushed through it because you just kind of knew nothing. No, meant right? Anything. They don't. They don't put any anything that is going to be meaningful angle stuff is going to be occurring on NXT now. And they really are signaling that to you by giving you the best match in the Cruiserweight division on NXT. So if I want to keep up with the Cruiserweight title, uh, I will keep up with the NXT Cruiserweight title when it's on NXT. They Oh, they didn't even have... Oh, I was thinking of SmackDown with the jobber team. My fault. I just, yeah, they did. I, they had uh, yeah two guys on SmackDown. That's right. Yeah, yeah, no, I forgot. That was heavy machinery. Just... I, boy, yes. yes. Otis yes. Otis with the thrusting now. The the pelvic thrusting. He's Big E. He's he's because that's all Big E does too. And you're like, oh, they just love fat guys and their or big guys and their pelvic thrusting. It's just ridiculous. But it was the same arena, that's why I got mixed up. But no, it was just those three. And the tag team match wasn't too bad, the main event. I, I think uh Leo and Raul Mendoza are a pretty good little team. But uh now back to 205, and then we'll end with NXT UK. Oh, I mean, I think we're basically done with NXT, if you want to move over to NXT UK. What came, what came out? Oh, that's right. The the what came, Didn't anything come there was after? There's like the uh, Mia Yim match, and then there's, uh, I mean, there might have been something prior to the Mia Yim thing. Uh, we did Roddy, Swerve Scott, Pete Dunne and Killian Dane match never started. Yeah. So, yeah. That's... So okay, no, you're right. My fault. Yeah. They're very long matches. This was a week of long matches on all the shows. Yeah, um, it was a week of long matches. I, I also actually like the main event in this show too on NXT UK here. But let's get into it first. Okay, kind of confused by Zaya Brookside just getting fed to Kaylee Ray. I, this was a real head scratcher because it seems like they want to build up Zaya Brookside. I think this is how they're building her up, though. By having her, her up. lose respectably. Well, no, here's what here's. Well, here's what happens. You build her up. She goes against the champ. She's not good enough to beat the champ. You build her up again. She's going up against stronger people. She's going up against other people. Maybe she loses against the champ the second time. And then the third time, she's a superstar running through everybody she faces until she gets to the champ. And then she beats her. I think that's how it goes. Maybe. I think Zyab... I think Zia Brookside is eventually the champion of this women's division. Oh, I think that's right. I think that's right. I just don't think that having her lose an opener match in under 10 minutes against Kaylee Ray, where Kaylee Ray is mostly in control, does... Like, that storyline seems plausible to me. I don't think I that it. this does the work that you're looking for in that storyline. You're right. No, I think I think you're very much right in that. I may be booking in my head. Right there. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's kind of weird because, you know, they give her that nice promo. She's obviously very, I mean, she, she's this, she's what you want in that kind of baby face. And to have her just get meat grinded by Kaylee Ray is kind of weird. Yeah. In the open. That, that, that's, if this had been the main event of the show, I'd have a slightly different scan of it, but in particular with this, then Travis Banks and Liguero decided to treat me to 10 minutes of them wrestling. <laughs> it was very good, technically sound, boring as sin wrestling from these two. I, God, they, they're both not bad wrestlers, but no, this angle not. is boring as hell. Yeah, because neither of them have much of a personality. No, and when and they, they were don't. giving Liguero any personality at all, it was about him as like an underdog character, and this storyline does not showcase 
any of the compelling underdog nature of Liguero. And then out comes Joseph Connors, and it's apparently all oh, about Jesus. him. Oh, that's what we need. That's what we need for two bland guys is to put a third bland guy in there. Yeah, this is a, a three-way dance to hell. You know, Joseph Connors is not going to be forgotten anymore on this brand, Chris. He should make an alliance with the Forgotten Sons. Oh, dear God, I would kill for this. I would kill for Joseph Connors being the British outpost of whatever motorcycle gang the Forgotten Sons are. I mean, honestly, why not? No, seriously, (laughs) why not have the Forgotten's come over there and feud with Gallus along with Joseph Connors? Why the hell not? Yes, I'm, I'm in there. I'm in for that. Why the hell not? Because you can't can't go any worse right this division it's padding out it's not like the forgotten sons are doing anything in nxt us uh we get connors we get t-bone we get saxton huxley we make them the forgotten sons uk yeah that could all oh that could be fun they they actually expand (laughs) out the motorcycle club you have a gunner it's like the third season of sons of anarchy when they go to ireland (laughs) i like this angle like that we're fantasy booking i don't hate it um (laughs) Then we had, and then we, and then we could have Forgotten Sons Japan, and we could have Forgotten. All right, all right, now, now, now you're now you're turning me against it. Um, after that, we had William Regal and Johnny Saint in the NXT Training Center with Sid Scala, and Alexander Wolf comes up. Alexander Wolf, low key, they are finding really great ways to use him in backstage segments, and he is a very very interesting figure um, for plot delivery. He has a cool personality. He does. I love Alex. I've always loved Alexander Wolf. I, I ever since he came in for sanity, I love this dude because he's always just a, he's just unhinged enough where I want to watch everything he does. But him talking and him having a lot of story and plot and most of the activity for Imperium moves through Wolf when it's not moving through Walter, and he's doing a really able job carrying it. I just I loved the manners of Alexander Wolf coming in and interrupting and watching and, and then and, cutting and, and off Sid Scala. So because initially he's like, oh, Mr. Regal. And then he's just like, why don't you shut the hell up, Sid Scala? And then goes back Chris, to buttering up power because he's obsequious to power. But he yes. he kisses up and punches down like a good heel. I I know this is ridiculous because Johnny Gargano is not going to be in the war games. I desperately want Sid Scala to be the fourth guy in War Games. I don't know why. I just go, there's the scrappy underdog we need to believe in for the NXT universe. You just want a chant of Sid, 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 Sid. And I want want to call himself the master of the universe, Sid Scala. Yes, that's what I want. No, I love that. And Sid Scala has these great... Are you really dissing me in front of my boss's type face? Yes. Where he, the, like, oh, that he's love- not forgetting about all of this stuff. All of this is being mentally noted by Sid Scala. Yeah. He, no, he's yeah. awesome. I That guy I is him. a real talent. You, you, you were ahead of this the whole time, and you talked me into it. I love Sid Scala. Tyler Bate and Cassius Ono. This got a lot of time, and I thought it was pretty darn good, man. It was fun. I liked it a lot. I just think it's just such a... It got a lot of time. Like, this could have been 15 minutes, and I would have been fine. 24 is kind of pushing it. Well, it's an NXT UK main event where you go, that was a very good match. What does it mean? Right. Why Why, why, why did we, did we see this? 
allocate 25 minutes to Cassius Ono, a guy who's got no clear story going on right now. Right. And and Tyler Bate, who is kind of towing the line between NXT and NXT UK. Um, yeah, no, I, I, Cassius Ono is such a welcome presence on this show because he's a large guy who can go either technical, he can go lucha, he can go strong style, he can do whatever. He is so great, and I'd much rather have him Let's put it this way. I'd much rather have him be doing a delusional I'm the best UK wrestler here than doing prelim matches in NXT. But at the same time, I'm always of the opinion that when you're watching something, there's a reason we should be watching this. And there was no reason we should be watching this other than to watch a wrestling match. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of purposeful long matches. And yes. I am very, very cold these days on the, well, you just got to let them work for 25 minutes because it's art in the ring, brother. I, like that just, it does not resonate for me the way that this, it once did maybe even five years ago. This was a problem with me and PWG. I fell out of love with PWG because it was great matches, but that's it. You know, it's like I can watch great matches and great matches and great matches, but eventually great matches will even the, the, my love with great matches will start to erode where I, I want stuff like heat and and angles and promos. Pro wrestling supposed and I want to, be to be a meaningful. Kung Fu movie. It's supposed to have the great fight scenes, right? Bruce Lee fights with Chuck Norris, 10 minutes, it's awesome. Bruce Lee fights with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, it's awesome. But there's a reason you watch Enter the Dragon versus The Chinese Connection. And it's because you're more interested in the plot that's going on and weaving through Enter the Dragon versus The Chinese Connection, which is just a well-done early Bruce Lee film. I think having that good plot, that's what makes all those fight scenes worthwhile. I mean, one of the reasons the NWA did so many tournaments back in the day was that tournaments have stakes. And tournaments also then build stories within the tournaments. Somebody's going on a run. Two people who hate each other are on opposite sides of the brackets and they're trying to fight their way to meet each other in the finals. You know, you, you have upsets, you know, they, they it come with naturally building stories. Yeah, of different lengths, too. So you have yeah. stories that self-conclude within the show. So someone goes to the show, gets a beginning, middle, and end story. And then you're also getting the first couple of chapters of several of these other stories and you want to see how they're going to pay off down the line. Yeah, we didn't go over AEW, but we don't need to. It's okay. I like some parts of it. There are other parts I think are very overvalued. Um, but uh, we've kvetched a lot. I'm a little under the weather from celebrating my last day of work for three weeks. Uh, Chris, tell them where they can find you. Don't worry.tv is where you can find the greatest news and politics podcast, Don't Worry About the Government, which is available on iTunes and Stitcher. I am on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. My other show is the All in the Family podcast, which you can find at the All in the Family podcast. I'll probably be taping more episodes of that sometime in the not-so-distant future. You can follow me at CrapGame13. You can follow the show at ShakeThemRopes. We'll see you next week. And now I'm about to endorse someone for president. <laughs>